Turn up your radio. It's time for DeLorean Talk with your host, Dave Tavers. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of DeLorean Talk. Finally, I know it's few and far between, but that's how life happens. I'm still excited about having people on. Today, I'm really excited to have Mike McElhatton from DeLorean Midwest in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Hey, Mike. Hey, Dave. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Awesome. I'm so happy to finally get you on the show. I've, I know I've asked you for a little while, but you have a business to run, so you're busy with that, and you have a family. Yeah, I'm glad we finally got the, found the time to, to have a chat. Good. You said that you'd listen to some of the other episodes and mm-hmm. you know, usually start out by asking people uh, about themselves. What is your history? Are you from Illinois? Uh, what's your family like? I am. So, yeah, I, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, and about uh, when I was roughly two years old, my parents moved to the suburbs of Chicago, and I pretty much lived in the suburbs of Chicago my whole life. Cool. Bounced around different suburbs, but yeah, we're, we've been in this area for my whole life. Awesome. And were you into cars as a kid? I, you know, I was. I was, you know, first it was into bikes and fixing bikes, and me and my brothers would take wheels off of one bike and put them on another <laughs> to make, you know, wheelie bikes and, you know, dragster bikes and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when when I uh, graduated uh, high school, I, I went into actually banking for a while and just didn't. <laughs> really like that and and just I knew that um if I was going to go to college to study something it would have to be something that I was interested in to keep my interest and so um, I decided on automotive and I wound up and got getting a two-year associate's degree in automotive and getting ASC certified and I was working at different shops for probably about five years before I stumbled onto DeLoreans. Had you had experience with DeLoreans during that time or how did you stumble on the DeLoreans? Well, so my DeLorean story started in roughly 1998 when we went to a Mecham auction when they would do a once-a-year auction at the Boone County Fairgrounds. They were really small and just starting out at the time. And we went to this auction. Mainly it was an auction and car show, and my dad wanted to see some cars from, like, the 30s. They were they were also running an auction there, and my younger brother, Joe, actually saw a DeLorean that was being an auction, and spent hours trying to convince my parents to buy it and somehow he came home with that car which was very you know we were very middle class and and i think each of us when we graduated high school got like 50 it was like at a set amount like 5300 they bought my older oldest brother a 5300 car and then everybody was going to be treated the same <laughs> and so joe i think at the time that the car was around twelve thousand, and he was like oh, i promise i'll pay you guys back all the extra and he wound up coming home with them uh, fast forward seven years, I had, uh, like I mentioned, gone through trade school and had two-year degree under my belt as well as five years working on cars. And I'm sitting at my job one day reading the paper, and there's an ad in the Northwest Herald looking for a DeLorean technician. Hmm. And I really had not done much work to my brother's car because he owned this car for 20 years, Dave, and probably put 300 miles on it. Oh, he kept, one of those owners. <laughs> he stored it properly and kind of kept good care of it but he really didn't do a lot of driving of the car but if it weren't for that connection to him owning one i probably would never have replied to to the ad yeah. looking for a tech so especially if you did not help him with his car or work on the car 
Yeah, I mean, we I think when we replaced taillight boards and an alternator, I think were the two issues he had in his ownership that you know that we we helped him rectify. And I'm not even sure how involved I was with with those repairs. <laughs> but uh, but it, like just because I, and honestly, when I replied to the ad, I thought, well, you know what, I'll go check out this shop, and if there's something that goes wrong with my brother's car, I'll just see what I think of the place and the owners, and you know, we'll see what happens with the uh, interview. And uh, they actually had hired another guy before me who was coming back from a back injury. Uh, and he mistakenly came to work the day they unloaded a semi truck full of parts, and decided he wasn't ready to come back. His back was not strong enough to come back to work, and uh, so he worked one day, and then I was Dave's next full time hire. Of course, I'm talking about Dave and Julie Swingle, who started the Midwest shop back in 2007. So you started as a tech for Dave and Julie, with five years experience under your belt. Let's go back for a second. Did you guys live near each other? Where was he far away? Did you ever you, drive the DeLorean or? Like, you know, you can count on, I think like twice I was allowed to, I drove the DeLorean. Uh, we did live pretty, pretty close together. Uh, my, he lived with my mother and I lived with my dad. We were probably like 20 miles apart, but we would, were pretty close knit family and we'd get together almost every weekend. After he bought this one, he saved up and bought another cheap daily driver and wanted to keep this car nice hmm. and wasn't driving it regularly. So what happened to your brother's DeLorean? So after having this car for literally 20 years, he uh, he sold. we sold the car through uh, Midwest Shop. Then there's a gentleman in Austin in Florida who's a great owner, and he's bought the car and done a ton of work to it. So there's an owner in Florida who now has Joe's car. And it, it was kind of funny because not until that thing sold that I just kind of realized that the only reason for my brother to own that car is because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it, not for him purchasing that. Nice. As far as, you know, his usage of it, his ownership almost didn't make sense other than someone knew there was this other meaning behind his purchase other than his own usage of the car. So you didn't start out as the Back to the Future fan who grew up and then wanted to get the real car. It was because your brother got it, but why did your brother want the car, do you remember? Well, I, you know, I'm very much a product of the 80s, so I definitely remember seeing the movies, and I grew up during that decade, so I feel like I've lived that. But, you know, I have an interest in quite a few cars. And I, for something with my brother, it was just when he seen the car at that auction, it was just like he that was it. He had decided, I think, somewhat in that moment that it was it. And, and none of us really realized that, you know, they were somewhat affordable, like I said at the time. Yeah. In 1998, these these were going for like twelve to 15000 Yeah. I remember, uh, you know, friends of mine thinking it was a much more expensive car because people <laughs> just don't know the values and it looks pretty exotic. You know, so once he figured out that, hey, this actually is not that far out of reach dollar-wise, he just was like, have it. was like a pit bull and, and, and somehow my parents said yes. <laughs> but yeah, I do feel there was like some divine intervention going on there because, you know, there was more meaning in that purchase than any of us knew at the time. Yeah. And I know the community is so happy to have you. Everybody has said wonderful things about you personally taking over the shop from Swingles and all the work you've done. Well, that's always good to hear. And, I, you know, we just kind of tried to fill the footsteps of Dave and Julie Swingle. And they, I believe they ran a good, honest shop here. And we're just trying to keep that going. Good. When I first moved out here to middle of nowhere, Missouri, a friend gave me a sign that said, the first and only DeLorean in Marceline, which is true. Yeah. And... Same thing out here. People just have almost never seen this car. Mm -hmm. And one day, one of the guys that I've become friends with, we were doing something at the car, and he goes, so tell me, is this, what is this car worth, like $150,000? And, yeah, <laughs> of course, I bet, yeah. 
laughed out loud, like right. not even close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've had the same reaction because people just don't, they don't know. And it looks like a much more expensive car. And now they're starting yeah. to get, the values are starting to get to where they're less affordable for sure. But in the 90s, oh. they were very affordable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember as a kid seeing an ad for one for $8,000 and going, <laughs> yeah. holy cow. Now, yeah. of course, I don't know. That could have been a junker, but I'm right. sure that, you know, in the early mid 80s, by the time the, by the time GMC went out of business, that, yeah, people probably said, well, there's no support, so get rid of the car. Right. Right. Now let's take the step forward. Before we talk about the shop, mm-hmm. um, you, what, you went to work for the Swingles. Did you end up buying a DeLorean for yourself ever? So, yeah, I did. Uh, so probably about a year in working for them. So I started work for them in February of 2007. And by February of 2008, I had uh, kind of been shopping a little bit, and I found a car that was local, owned by a, a little old woman that was on you know Craigslist, because that's how you bought cars back then. And, Same uh, here. That's how I got mine. Yep. And so I responded to this ad. Uh, the funny story on it, I've, I've told this before, but uh, we actually went to purchase this car the morning before we left for my honeymoon with my wife, Susie, who obviously runs the shop with me. And so we we had like a late afternoon uh, flight, and we went there in the morning to look at this car, and I, I wound up purchasing it like the, the day we left. And I made the boneheaded <laughs> mistake of, I think the car was like 15000 at the time, and and I had some money like in a CD, and I didn't even think I was just so focused on getting the deal closed you know i didn't want to like go on a honeymoon and be worrying about somebody else getting this car before i got back right so i was focused on okay we got to get this woman paid and i didn't even ask Susie. i was just like you need to give me like nine thousand dollars so i can buy this car (laughs) (laughs) and then on the very last day of our honeymoon i think it might have been the last day she was like you know you didn't even ask me for that money not that i wouldn't have given it to you but when you're newly married, you you don't meld funds right away. And she was kind of like, wow, right. like just a few days into this, and he's already <laughs> you know buying cars with my money. And of course, I I paid her back, but it was kind of like my my first boneheaded move as a husband. So <laughs> that's a good story, though. I'm yeah, glad and, that she's she's over it. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone in the shop probably deserves this now because it kind of gets under my skin. But everyone in the shop calls it Susie's DeLorean. Susie's like <laughs> it's not Susie's DeLorean, but I guess. Technically, most of it is. <laughs> right. Nine out of 15,000 worth. <laughs> right, right. So she's the majority stakeholder, I guess. Uh, she was since, like I said, she was since paid back, and obviously we've melded funds since then. But uh, Sure, sure. He's a, and that car was kind of funny. So we had that car for about seven years, six or seven years, and then we sold the car when actually the location that we're in, before I was the owner of the shop, Dave and Julie Swingle, we went into business buying a piece of real estate together, the shop. And I sold that car to fund it, oh. to help fund it, because we were in debt up to our eyeballs. And then sure. uh, a local police officer actually bought it. And I just said, if you ever decide to sell it, please give me first dibs. And uh, luckily luckily enough, a couple of years ago, he came to me and said, you know, would you want to buy it back? And, and we were in a place where we could. And that's really the only car that I've considered my DeLorean, of course, a lot of come and gone sure. cars. We buy cars and fix them up and sell them, but uh, that's the only one I consider my personal car. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you ever drive your car? Yeah, we do. Yeah, I, I usually try to go on at least like one road trip a year. We don't do tons of miles because I, I spend a lot of time, you know, obviously test driving customer cars as well. <laughs> yeah, but, you uh, get enough of it, sure. Yeah, but it was funny. We were. It was like two years ago. We were. I went on a road rally with Susie. 
and we were in another Pontiac that I own. And uh, she just looked at me and she said, Mike, I want a DeLorean back. And so I kind of, <laughs> the guy, guy had been calling me and he was like, you know, I think I might be ready to sell. So I was like, okay, well, when I get home, I'll have to call him up and just do what I can to try to nudge him to, to sell it back to us. And, and he was kind of ready when he first bought it. He was like, I'll be buried in this thing. And then he would bring it in for service and he would say, you know, then after owning it for about four years, it went from that to, you know, I didn't drive it much this year. I don't even think it needs an oil change because I've only put like a few hundred miles on it. And then I knew he might be getting ready. And uh, he had his mother-in-law move in with him and he had a spot in the garage for her car. And right. that was kind of what pushed him over the edge and I was able to get it back. Nice. Well, that's. I'm glad that you still drive and enjoy the DeLorean aside yeah. from seeing them every single day and being getting in and out of it every single day. Yeah. I mean, it can get to be, yeah, so you're doing it every single day, but I do, I do enjoy the car. It's one of, I have an interest in a lot of cars, but the DeLorean is really high on my list for sure. And honestly, at this point, I think if I only owned one, it would be a DeLorean. Very cool. That's a good answer. I like that. Cause usually I end the show by asking what your other dream car is. So we'll, we'll get to that. You can okay. think about that as we go. Okay. Wow, we covered so many great pieces of your of your DeLorean story so far, but you spent basically five years uh, working on other cars. Then you came and became a tech at Midwest, DeLorean Midwest. Yeah. Now let's talk about that, about what, how long you worked there under Dave and Julie before yeah. you ended up thinking about buying the shop. Yeah, so I worked for Dave and Julie Swingle for nine years, and I was kind of promoted uh, to their lead tech and then shop manager once we added some more staff. Um, and then uh, we still have a guy working for us, Jason, that kind of came to us fresh out of trade school and had never worked in a shop before. And so I really worked side by side with him to train him up. And it's kind of funny now because he's like the master tech in the shop now because since ownership, I've kind of removed myself from the shop somewhat. And he's still sure. out there every day. So at this point, he's a stronger tech than I am, even though I, I feel like at one point I had taught him most of what he knew. <laughs> yeah, so, literally. But it's funny how how things kind of change. Yeah. As an owner who doesn't own a shop, my comment is to hopefully you keep your fingers in the pie and you do some kind of quality control so that when cars go out the door, you as the owners, you and Susie, double-check the cars, even though you trust him. Yeah, yeah. No, we absolutely do. And honestly, my, like my roots, I still feel like I'm blue collar, you know. Um, and to me, where, where I'm most comfortable is working on the cars. Of course, there's other things to run with the business and oh, yeah. the quoting and deal with the, the customer conversations. And a lot of that takes up a good chunk of my time. But uh, they still need me every once every once in a while. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll get the, the feel good where they'll have me out there and there's a couple of guys working on something they can't figure it out. And I, I'll go out and help them work through it. And be like, they still need me sometimes. <laughs> Not very often, <laughs> feel, but uh, once a month wanted. or so. Yeah, once a month or so, it's like, yeah, I, I helped them get through that particular issue on the car, and, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, we work well together that way. So Awesome. I assume that you call Toby Peterson from DeLorean Service Northwest once in a while, and you guys trade notes? Yeah, typically we'll shoot an email back and forth when we have one. Uh, sometimes it's just an email that says, hey, Mike, can you give me some ideas on this because i'm at my wits end sometimes he'll just be like you know what i just found one that's a total pain in the butt and it, he wasted a bunch of time or he thinks it's an obscure failure and he'll just give me a heads up on you know i just found this weird failure something you might want to look out for and I, i've done the awesome. same thing with him because uh sometimes you just even as much as we know these cars sometimes 
one could give you so much trouble that it's like, you know what, I got to reach out to a fresh set of eyes. And I will still do this with Dave and Julie Swingle. We have a really good relationship. <laughs> Dave, obviously, for the technical side of things. Dave's probably my first go-to, but probably three times a year or so, Toby and I will connect on trying to figure out what's going on with some car. Nice. Yeah, yeah having a good network. I mean, I yeah, know sure. for me, I have my network of other DeLorean owner friends that when something weird or whatever, I'll call them. And if I'm turning the wrench myself, I'll be like, how do I do this? How do I do that? Mm -hmm. Of course, the online community is great. People are, for the most part, everybody's willing to share and talk and teach. So it's yep. very helpful. Yeah, that is a great part about this community. The the tech support yeah. is, is pretty good. Small number of cars. Everybody's yep. got to stay close together and sure. and be friendly. Yeah. So nine years you spent as a tech, mm -hmm. and at some point, was it your idea, was it Swingle's idea to pass the torch? What was what was that story? Yeah, so I guess it, it, that started with uh, the shop that we were in went up for sale. And then I had actually said, you know, maybe I would consider buying the building. And then that led into, we weren't able to do that, but that led us into buying a building together because Dave still wanted to be part owner in anything he was running a business in. And then I, I think Dave just kind of re reached, uh, got was getting close to retirement age. And we actually made a five-year plan that Dave said, okay, in five years, I'm going to retire and we're going to sell it to you. And they started slowly pulling me into the office and teaching me the quoting processes and all the stuff that they were handling. Uh, I'm, I'm really lucky that my wife, Susie, had a background in accounting because that's something I could never wrap my head around. If you wanted me to do payroll and stuff like that, we'd have no employees because they never get paid. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that's a huge hurdle for any business owner to get over. And luckily she had that skill set. So, yeah. So we were between the things Dave was doing and the things Julie were doing, we can kind of divvy up those tasks between uh, what Susie and I needed to do to run the business. Was Susie on board from the beginning? Was she working at the time, or did she want to start a DeLorean shop business? She was pretty good about it. I'm really lucky that way, Dave. And she, <laughs> she and she had some great experiences where she was she was actually working for a couple of companies and was they really wanted to promote her to chief financial officer of a larger corporation. And they were actually pulling for her to not come to work for me and making these <laughs> offers. And, yeah. and we were just like, well, we're going to have to try this together. Uh, so she kind of turned down some pretty decent career for us to give this a go together. And it, there are ups and downs of working with your spouse yeah, but all in all, I I don't have any complaints, and we're fortunate to be able to run this together. That's awesome. Yeah, you set up a five year plan. Yep, and they start training you over time. Mm -hmm. When it got closer to the end date, yep, what was that like? So, like, well, we actually wound up executing that five year plan in four years, just because Julie uh, and Dave had just mainly decided that they were ready to retire a little earlier than expected. So we kind of accelerated and basically that turned into the last year I was pretty much removed from the shop and I was brought into the office to start doing those things we talked about of working quotes, having much more customer interaction uh, and just working the front side of, of the, the shop, shop. And, and other, yeah. and then we hired some more people to where I was still kind of managing the shop, but my hands were kind of starting to, Less, cleaner. Le less and less working <laughs> on cars, more and more office work. Right, the paperwork. Yep, yep. 
I went to one of the last DCSs and uh, got to meet Dave and Julie for a split second. Sure. Uh, being that I'm, I was a West Coast uh, DeLorean buyer, sure. I really didn't interact with people further out east other than coming to the DCS shows. So right. I got to meet them for just a split second at your shop Sure. and super nice people. Yeah, so once when they retired and you guys took over, you were already in the new location where you're currently at now, right? Correct. Yep, we've been here for about – so I've, me and Susie have been running this for just over seven years, and uh, we've been in this location for ten. And prior to that, you might have said, when did Dave and Julie start the shop? Uh, they started the shop, and he actually started, I think, rented a facility in probably June or July of 2006, and they opened for business in February of 07 was when they finally got occupancy in the city. He said, okay, you gave them the green light to start an auto shop. Yeah, yeah. They, they actually had some cars shipped in, were able to store them, but uh, until they got that uh, occupancy permit, they weren't supposed to be working on cars until February. Right, right. So I remember interviewing with them in like the fall, and there was already probably five DeLoreans here, um, and they were starting to set up the shop and put lifts in, um, but the cars were just covered up and no no mechanics. Were no work was done. done. No work was yeah. going on at that time. So, One of the things, I met you at, uh, at some other DCS several years ago, and I talked to you for a few minutes. Yeah. And one of the things that you do as a shop was just brilliant. Because most owners kind of uh, shelve the car during the winter months, the especially out east. It yeah. doesn't happen out west. We, we drive the cars year-round. Right. But out, out here now... Uh, people just, you know, park the cars, and you guys will store cars for free over the winter if people do a certain amount of maintenance to them during that time. Yeah, so we did that for probably the first 10 or 12 years of running uh, the shop, Dave and Julie, and then we were doing that for a while. But probably three or four years ago, the demand has just outweighed the supply of what we can put out. And so our current backlog, Dave, is something like eight to nine <laughs> months now. And so oh we no longer offer that because what we would do is just what you said. We'd store it and we'd work on the car and then go put it aside and wait till April when the weather gets nicer and then people would come pick up their cars. Um, but now yeah. that, that slot in the shop has just become too in demand. And so when your car is finished, we go through our process uh, of inspecting a car like you were mentioning earlier. Susie and I do usually physically try to go over every single car and make sure this was done, that was done, and just look the car over. One or both of us test drive the car along with my shop manager, Jason. But yeah, we no longer really have the space to do that. I, I've since, uh, probably in the last four years, we've doubled our staff to be able to try to move more cars through here, and we just still have this kind of backlog, which sure. it's a great problem to have in a way. I hate telling customers that come in and say, hey, I just bought a car. I want you guys to really go through it and make it great. And I'll say, yeah, see you in nine months. Because nobody right. wants, I don't want to say that, nobody wants to hear that, but. You don't have a choice. Right, yeah, but it's just, you know, it's crazy to think that a car has, that has not been produced in 41 years and we're still this busy with, <laughs> with that car that they have not, you know, made any new ones. But I just think it's, the values have gone up and so people are more willing to put a little bit more into the car, which is yep. more work for us. And I really think the network that's of parts and shops um, has put so many more of these cars back. A much higher percentage of DeLoreans are on the road now than there was 10 years ago. Yeah, um, yeah, and, absolutely. And, uh, you know, when a car is sitting in a barn for decades, no shop is making any 
parts for that or any repairs on that and and when they're you know when they're getting restored and getting back on the road that makes us all busier and it's it's kind of a weird business model to wrap your head around of we're working on cars that are a finite amount of cars and they have not been produced in over 40 years yet we've actually gotten busier in the in the past well three you can always build more storage space you got plenty of property there but that's not the issue the issue is finding talented mechanics and people that are passionate about turning wrenches on the car right right Right. yeah and we we could this facility can hold about 32 deloreans and we're usually at that 25 to 30 mark and so it's really just about what we're really always on now is we got to manage the spaces and and it's easy for one to you know be waiting on some parts and it gets pushed off to the corner and and then we're on to the next car and we really have to just make sure we have enough facility here we just have to really manage the in and out uh, well in order to best best use those 32 spots yeah i'm sure you would love to get everybody in and out of there in a week Right, but you just don't have enough mechanics. It's not doing me or the customer any favors if I, you know, if you call me up and I say, "Dave, bring your car right in," and then we stick it in the back and it sits there for nine. <laughs> Especially exactly. if, if it's something that's not keeping yours off the road, it's better off to say, "Hey, let's bring it in in nine months when we actually may be getting to it within a few weeks instead of it just sitting and sitting and sitting." That I'm just responsible for storing it. You're not enjoying it at all, and yeah. so I'd rather just try to schedule it than than just get everything in and then have you know even more cars here. Right. What is your website? DeLoreanMidwest.com. You can actually click and purchase parts from Midwest, uh, which you could never do that before. Through awesome. a website, people would always call or email. And, uh, of course, in today's day and age, people want to just be able to buy off of a website, and so we're excited to have that. Good. Yeah, 2 in the morning or 2 in the afternoon. Right, or on a weekend when we might not be around, it's just people want <laughs> It's, we're accessible 24-7 through the website, which is great. We're coming into the 2023, so we're, yeah. fin- <laughs> finally, we're finally, finally there. So we're Good. a little behind for a long time. but uh, And we're just now trying to add parts there weekly where uh, we're going to grow the availability and, and the inventory of what's available through that site and plan to do that. That's probably our, a big focus over the next six months is just to continue to build what we can offer there. Awesome. Now, you also have been doing a YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, that's been kind of fun. Uh, DeLorean Nation is the YouTube channel, and that was something that I just kind of, I guess I had idea in my head of people, our customers would really just love to see kind of the day-to-day going on of a DeLorean shop. I'm just not the guy who was ever really going to shoot that or edit that, and one of our employees, Kevin, I mentioned it to him one day, and he was like on all over it, and he said, "Yeah, let's do that." That's it was. It might have been that day or the next week. We we shot our first video, and it's hilarious to see the first video because the first about <laughs> ninety seconds of that, Dave, the two of us looked like a deer in headlights. Like, what? Are we, <laughs> what are we doing? Um, and it's still a little bit. It's not very well edited, but it's just I try to make it real and real stories about what's going on in the shop, real stories about cars we may be purchasing to sell. And so far, it's uh, I'm enjoying it. I think Kevin's enjoying it, and uh, it's really kind of got a, its own little following. Good. Yeah. I was very happy to see that you started that, and I personally, as an owner, I kind of would prefer if it wasn't overproduced. I'd like to know that you're a normal person and you're not trying to be a big, giant company, and yeah. uh, you actually know what you're talking about. You're not just there to sell. Well, I tell you what, I w- Kevin and I both go off our go out of our way to make it real. Nothing is ever staged. To me, that's direction for this channel is just to 
like I said, show a glimpse of what we do every day. We come into some crazy stories. There was one car, one of my favorite videos is a video where a guy had passed away in the middle of a project. And we go to the guy's house, and their car is literally all over his house. <laughs> the frame is in the backyard. The body was on the side of his house. The interior is part in his bedroom, part in his garage. Engines in the basement. <sighs> transmissions in the basement. The car was just... And that's like a... To me, that's a perfect example of like, I, you can't script that. There's no way I... Yeah. His son-in-law called him a hoarder. Uh, I won't say that, but his son, and, and there's just stuff all over the house. The guy had amassed quite the collection in his life. We literally went into this house and spent about five hours digging through stuff, trying to find everything that was a piece of the home. Oh, wow. That's kind of a unique story that only somebody who runs a shop like we do would ever run into anything even close to that. Yeah. Yeah, if it was one of these quote-unquote reality TV shows, they would have put everything right. all over the house. Yeah. It could have all been in the garage. They would have put, moved everything. But yeah. You found it like that for real. It was like an episode of American Pickers just with DeLoreans. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just one of the you know stories we've been able to put out there that I thought was awesome. cool to, to have people see that the, the goings-on. I'll find that episode of the show and put it on this episode page. That's one of our longer ones. That one's like a 40-some minute video. It's a, It took that long just to even give you an idea of what went on that day. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. In your time all the way back, starting working on DeLoreans, what stories popped to mind about the hardest problem you solved on a DeLorean uh, or anything along those lines? Any favorite stories of fixing a car or delivering a car or, or buying a car? Oh, man, uh, there, there's a ton of them. Uh, we, we do have a bit of a wall of shame here that when when a part goes terribly bad uh, or something that's a real serious issue, like a trailing arm bolt that's just twisted into a pretzel, or we've had some, uh, we had one that was wild, that uh, oil pump that the pressure relief valve stuck on it, so the oil pump would not build any pressure, wouldn't push any oil through the motor. It would go straight through the pump and right out the blow-off instead of going through the motor. And luckily we had... Uh, Notice this, we, we had done a, a stage build on a car, so we had the engine completely apart, built it all back up, never went anywhere near the water pump, or I'm sorry, the oil pump on this car. And when we go to start it back up, it had oil pressure. We rev, revved it to a higher RPM on a test drive, and this plunger stuck, and it lost oil oil pressure. Luckily, Jason noticed this immediately and shut the car off. And that's So we took the engine apart and was doing diagnostics on to what happened to the oil pressure find out it's this pressure relief valve inside of the oil pump and that's sitting on our shelf as that could have been a very <laughs> expensive part because had that car literally run for another 60 seconds we probably would have been looking at a full bearing rebuild or possibly even a new engine replacement yeah so stuff like that i'd say the most common issue that's weird for deloreans is uh fuel the fuel injection on them that's what i think we're the best at sorting through where if you bring this to you know the local knowledgeable mechanic down the street, he's really going to pull his hair out with a fuel injection. Yeah, unless he's a Porsche guy, right? Right. There, yeah, but those, <laughs> again, you're talking 40-year-old cars, so there isn't, <laughs> if there's a 40-year-old Porsche guy, yeah, if he's working on 20-year-old Porsches, he's still going to struggle. But yeah, yep. it, is, it is similar to other European cars like Saabs and some Lotuses and Porsche, yeah, for sure. So that does lead into you. I think you guys are just starting offering some new services, right, with regard to that. Yeah. So we there's a lot of the younger buyers, and there's 
sometimes an older guy or two that will uh, run into this. But for the most part, uh, older guys are really into keeping the cars more original and keeping them running nice. And younger guys are really, there's a big push for this resto mod. Performance. Yep. So they want it to look like a DeLorean, but they want it to drive like a newer car. They want it to have more power, more brakes, better suspension, just overall improve the, the feel of the car. And uh, so along with uh, Josh Shattenkirk, we, we, we hired Josh Shattenkirk uh, late last year. Josh has been known for a site he had, LS DeLorean, where he was selling kits to engine swap your car um, or doing them himself. And before we hired him, uh, Josh was actually doing this as a full-time job. He had quit, walked away from his desk job to, to pursue this full-time. Hmm. And after probably about six months of that, he wound up moving from Canada to the States and came to work for us. Uh, so along with that, we're really hoping to grow that kind of resto-mod portion of what we do and offer more. We're offering brake upgrades now, suspension upgrades. We have multiple engine swaps that you can choose from. Um, multiple transmissions you can choose from, uh, depending on how badly you want to abuse your DeLorean. <laughs> the, the stock manual trans can take a pretty good amount of abuse, but if you really want to go uh, all out with horsepower and for it to be able yeah. to make a thrashing, you we gotta have, swap it out. You can swap it out with a 911 Porsche transmission. So that nothing has changed as far as w- what we've been doing before. We're still doing service. We're still doing parts. We're still doing car sales. But now we're offering this kind of restomod improvements. Awesome, and that's a focus we hope to offer more and more again over the next couple of years. We hope to continue to develop new things. Well, and as you just pointed out, younger owners, new owners of this old car, if that's what they want, you're trying to meet that demand. There's right. going to be plenty of people like me that kind of want to keep the car original as much as possible. Yep. I'm not a platform snob when it comes to carbureted or fuel injected or electric or LS or any of that stuff. It's it's your car. Do whatever you want with it. Yep. It still, for the most part, looks like a DeLorean. And as long as you enjoy it, that's the key. Yep. And I'm kind of, personally, I'm a a bit like you, Dave, where I I do like an original DeLorean. And I'm like my personal car, you probably will never see me LS swap my personal car. (laughs) As a business owner, what I really take pride in is I want to, you know, you bring your car and I want to listen to your needs and your wants, and I want to build your DeLorean. I'm not trying to build a bunch of cars that Mike wants. I'm trying to build what you want. And if, if that means keeping it original, great, let's do that. If that means LS swapping it, we can do that too. Do you guys still do a lot of, of stage upgrades? For sure. Yeah, that's something we probably do every couple of months. We have a a, a, a stage build going on. It's it's probably it will be called a, a level, you know, a, a level one and a level two engine build. So we're just kind of changing the the name on that, but very similar yep. to what's been offered in the past. Got it. I know someone here in my little tiny town of two thousand people just did something to his PT Cruiser. So that it sounds more, it's got that throaty, and yeah. he's all—he's very happy and excited for it. I'm like, to each his own. I don't get right. it. I said yeah. I know lots of DeLorean owners. It took me several years of when everybody wanted to put level two on, right. and I'm like, for what you're getting, what twenty, thirty more horsepower? What's the point? And it right. took me a couple of years to figure out they want the car to sound different right. more than the horsepower. I'm like, ah, okay. You know, this is a small community of not that many cars out there, yet you have guys who are 
the Back to the Future guys and the guys who are the originality guys and the guys who are the Restomod guys or to be honest, we're all part of the same community and I kind of embrace it all. Like it might not be something that I do. You know, even time yeah. machines, like when I first started I was like, Man, I would never do a time machine. But then <laughs> I see the fun and the youth that it brings to some people's eyes because man i met terry and oliver holler probably after we were working here for about a year and first of all they're wonderful people and yeah. even though i was like yeah, i wouldn't do that to a car to me that's blasphemy you know <laughs> immediately felt welcomed with these two and and felt a connection with these two and then but oliver actually says what's your birthday so i tell him my birthday and he types it in his time circuits actually work he said do you know what time you're born so I, I don't know exactly, but roughly a time. So, And I'm kind of distracted working on his car, trying to get my stuff done. And he says, well, lean in to the time circuits. I want to take your picture. So he, I do that. He takes my picture. He asks me for my email address. I didn't think much on it. I go on fixing what needs fixing on his car. Probably 10 o'clock that night, I go log into my email and I open it up. And there's this picture that Oliver had sent me. And seeing that image, I was just like, felt like a 10-year-old boy again. <laughs> and in that moment, I was like, okay, I get all the time machine guys. It's about, yep. you know, connecting with their youth or uh, making them feel young again. And that feeling, I was like, yep, you know, I understand where they're coming from, what their motivation is, and, and I have to respect that. Yeah. And I've said a hundred times on here that if I found a giant bag of money, I'd go buy another DeLorean and make it a time machine. Right. I'm, I'm one of those nerds. I don't want to destroy a car. I'm way more open to it, too. Like, if, like if I found the right car, like, you know, hey, it wasn't perfect here and there, maybe it's, right. you know, to me, it, uh, I might not do it with certain cars. My personal car will never see that. But, right. but you know, if I found one that was you kind of needed saving and you can kind of do your own thing with it and, and you bring it yep. back from the dead, so anything you do to it is giving it new life. But like I said, I, I've sold cars before, and sometimes guys will guys will actually call me and not want to tell me what they're doing with the car. And I'll just stop them and I'll be like, you know, if I get any inkling, I'm like, I don't care what you're doing. If you, It's a nice, low-mileage, pristine, original DeLorean, and you're going to send it to someone to turn it into a time machine, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. It's your car to do with what you wish. So You, um, you don't want to become Ed Bernstein? <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your car. You know, you. It, the truth of it is you can fit to me all you want and say, oh, you're going to do this, that, and keep it in a bubble and keep it in a museum. And the minute it leaves here, it could get wrecked on a transporter. Right, So, right. Uh, you know, as long as... Catch fire. Right. So, you know, you're, you're honest about the car. You tell me exactly what's going on. I, I don't care if you're shipping it out of the country, if you're turning it into a time machine. I'm just right. going to try to be here to help you and... Uh, I don't build time machines, but but if you tell me you're doing that, I'm not going to sure not judge tell you, you in the car. Right, be a jerk. Right. Yeah. I'll still just give you my opinion on you know you know how you might go about that and maybe give you some advice, and I'm happy to sell you the car regardless of what you plan to do with it. Right. Right. A few years ago, being in L.A., there was a string of a fair number of fires, uh, you know, fuel line fires. Yeah. Did you have a lot of that out, out in Midwest, and are you seeing many of well, those these days? The thing that sparked us here, and I I want to say this guy is in Missouri, but uh, an owner, Ron Wester, had two cars. One was a yellow painted car, and one was a Concorde DeLorean, uh, you know, a stainless DeLorean. Uh, one was his, and one was his, his wife's, I believe, had that Concorde car, and, and he had this uh, yellow car. And uh, I believe the Concorde car one day caught fire, burned the, the garage and most of the house down and both the DeLoreans were severely damaged. I think the Concord car was 
a total loss, and the the painted car took some serious damage. I believe it's been rebuilt since then. I think um, it has, yeah. That was the incident that, you know, I said, well, cars should have, you know, fuel lines put on. And uh, we started recommending that on anything that's in here. When my car came out of the deep freeze 27 years, I didn't know any different, mm -hmm. right? Nobody warned me about it. It wasn't a thing in 2015. Right. Uh, or at least it wasn't as obvious of a thing. And then, like I said, a couple of years later, when in the span of six months, like several cars caught fire driving down the road. Sure. I got freaked out. I didn't want to drive my car at all. Yep. The, you know, those two were the ones for me. No one wants to see them get ruined. We want to see these preserved uh, yeah. and, and do what we can. You know, that being said, I, I am a little leery of people who think changing the fuel lines is the end-all, be-all, and your car's never going to catch fire and you're good to go. <laughs> you know, there will be a day when those replacement lines can fail. Uh, and really, it's about just keeping up, knowing the car and keeping up on the maintenance of it. Yeah. You know, and, and you need to open the engine compartment and look back there and check for fuel. You know? <laughs> and even if you're running original stuff, there are guys who are like, hey, I'm, I'm fine with running this original stuff. You're taking a risk there, and I think replacement lines is an insurance policy. Yeah. You know, and nowadays if I list a car for sale that, that has original fuel lines on it, it's like I'm clubbing baby seals. But there are people who, you know, and yeah. I'll tell people if they say, if they're buying a car, they say, hey, what's, you know, is there something you recommend? That would be definitely be on my short list. Got it. Uh, is I mean, is that your number one? Do you have another, a different number one to, to uh, do? There, well, there's quite a few things. Well, really, the first thing is, number one for us is get the car running. If you bring a car in and ask us to do a full detailed inspection, we will do an inspection on a car and rate things priority level one to priority level four. Priority level one is the car does not move under its own power. So the engine doesn't run or the transmission doesn't shift. Number two is safety items like the brakes. Obviously, that's important. Uh, number three is preventive maintenance stuff. Maybe uh, your cooling hoses are original or old, and they might have a drip here and there. It's not preventing you from driving the car, but probably would prevent me from taking it on a longer road trip. Yeah. Uh, and then four would be cosmetics. So it's not going to leave you at the side of the road, but interior, headliner, paints, stainless, um, that that kind of stuff. Sure. You know, I would say the the fuel lines would probably be a priority level two. Hmm. Okay. And sometimes it's because people will bring a car to me and say, hey, I want you to get this running for me, and I don't have a budget to have you do number one, two, three, and four, but I do want you to do all the ones because I want to get it running, and I don't know K-Jet, so you get it running good. I'm kind of confident I can do those fuel lines myself. And so, um, you know, again, <laughs> it's it's have a conversation with them, talk to them about their budget. I'm happy to do yeah. as much or as little as they want. A lot of times we'll do the full detail inspection and it's a big number that, hey, it needs all this work. And the guy will say, okay, well, I have this budget to work with and then I'm going to take it and maybe bring it back to you at another time and save up some more and do so much a year and eventually try to get it to raise the level of the car. Yeah, I'm never going to try to tell somebody that you absolutely have to do these fuel lines. I will try to get a warning to them to say, it's a really a good idea, right? <laughs> Just send them a couple of the videos from YouTube. Yeah, right. You see the DeLoreans that are, are on fire or have burned it, up. It usually is a very easy sell when you tell people, well, <laughs> you know, this could happen if that doesn't, if, if you don't, this is the worst possibility. And, uh, yeah. you know, usually that's a very easy sale. And they say, yes, do it. I'm worried about it. Yeah. Going back to your DeLorean. Sure. You said you still take it on road trips. Yeah. 
again, there's no judgment, and it sounds like you're more of the original guy, but have you made any tweaks or changes to your car that uh, you're excited to share? Anything that has made it easier to drive, more comfortable, more fun? It's pretty much stock. It has been, my car has been lowered, uh, and it's been gone through, and, and uh, all the updates have been done to it. So we've kind of done sure. that full detail inspection, and it's had a mechanical go-through that's probably been seven or eight years now. Uh, but it's just a, you know, it's a nice, it was a nice original car when I bought it. Interior's all original other than the headliners. The frame's in pretty good shape. Uh, the wheel finish is original. The bumper paint is original. So the car's always been garaged and never, like, neglected as far as storage. Um, when I got it, it did kind of run crappy, and we had to go through the fuel system. And then when I did sell it that one time, a guy wanted a whole batch of work done to it because he said, I want to drive this thing daily. So we kind of went through it and did a tune-up and did all fluids on it, did the hoses on it. Uh, then I think he brought it back and had us do the suspension kit at one point. So some of the improvements were stuff he did. I really do like some of that myself, but I'm more an originality guy. The lowering kit is kind of nice, but I probably you probably won't see me doing, like I said, you're not going to see me turning it into a time machine or, or changing the drivetrain in it. Sure. And are you still happy with it being lowered? Yeah, yeah. It's got an older uh, set of shocks and springs on it, but it's it's been trouble-free. Cool. Uh, so many people like the lowered look of it, and do, I will say I do too, but I also don't want to change my car because I kind of want to leave it original. Mm -hmm. A few owners I've talked to, after several years, they're sick of scraping every driveway. Uh, yeah. And one of the first owners I met, actually, when I met him, he had just had the car reverted back to the stock height. Yeah. Well, uh, wow, I've, I, I can't remember anybody who's ever had us revert it back to stock. I, where we are, it's really flat, so it's not that much of an issue. Yeah. I, I am that guy that has the original shocks and the original springs, though, just in case I ever decide to. But really, I haven't had much issue with them. And, I, I you know, I like, to me, the original shocks, actually, when they age, they get stiff. You know, everybody calls it like a performance suspension. It actually softens <laughs> and improves the ride because the originals are just like, riding a bmx bike yeah. yeah yeah i feel that in my car and i have yeah. not done uh shocks or springs yet but i know it's on the short list of what has to get done yeah a lot of times a new set of shocks they really changes the feel and it quiets down the interior because when you hit a bump it tends to rattle way more uh when you've got those stiff shocks on it. <laughs> going going back to the to level upgrades uh i've had a number of other owners it, ride with me as a passenger and we're on the freeway and they're like, wow, it's so quiet in here. Yeah. Like that's cause I haven't <laughs> changed my engine and yeah, uh, the right. car runs pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm happy that it's quiet. We just there. had a car in here recently that the, the owner said that his wife refused to ride in it because he had changed the exhaust. And so he said, would you, would you put some sound deadening in it? And so we put a, <laughs> we don't, it's not a typical thing, but again, to each their own. And if you want me to do it, I'm going to try to do it. So we kind of reached out to a few people that I had known, had had kind of traveled down that road and tried to quiet their car up. It, it took some advice from them and then added some of our own dampening to it and uh, reports back that the car is, doesn't sound like it's got a modified exhaust on it now, so that's hmm. that's a win to me. Nice. I know somewhere, again, on my, my big magic list is Dynamat is one of those uh, that, yep. yeah, if the day comes, pulling everything out, covering the interior. The a Dynamat is something that most people that said they put it in, uh, it's kind of an expensive product, and it's time-consuming to put it in. And most said that they notice very little difference. 
So the, Interesting. the main when you when you go with sound deadening, really the thing that helps isolate sound is there has to be airspace in the insulation. Right. Dynamat is like it's an aluminum foil with like a rubber membrane, and there's really no thickness to it. And what you really want is more of like a foam to isolate uh, sound. And so this particular car was a matter of dropping the rear vertical board between the cabin and the engine and putting a lot of quite a bit of foam in there. And the stuff that we found that I liked the best, it is aluminum foil backed on it, which is kind of nice, but it was a three-quarter inch thick foam. Uh, it's an acoustic foam that's also fire retardant. Hmm. A lot of this stuff. Are... And you put that in the engine bay or in the cabin? Uh, I put it behind the vertical board uh, in like where the pontoons go next to the uh, engine. And, uh-huh. and that vertical board has some on there from the factory. And we just, you know, added on to that and, and added quite a bit of deadening in that rear section between the back of the cabin and the engine compartment. Got it. Awesome. So, yeah, if, you know, feel free to reach out. I'll send you what that product is. And uh, there was only one, the thing I was really after when it came to this insulation is I wanted to make sure something had some type of fire retardant. Yeah. And that's hard to find just because I wanted to make sure if there was ever a fire, it would, instead of it being a product that might accelerate that, it would actually yeah. slow it down. Slow it down. Yeah. So, so that's why we went with what we found. Talking a little bit more on the tech side, uh, a while back I talked about a couple of episodes and a few owners mm-hmm. about uh, fire extinguisher systems. Mm-hmm. There's. Uh, I had contacted one company that I can't remember the name, but they they make one of those rings that you attach to the inside of an engine bay. Yep. The videos on online are amazing. You know, they set fire to an engine, close the hood, and then a couple minutes later, this ring basically explodes and puts the fire out. Yep. When I contacted this company about the DeLorean, they said won't work. There's way too much airflow. You know, you got the bottom of the engine is all open, and there's all the grates on the engine cover on the engine lid. Have you done anything with uh, automatic fire fire retardant or uh, we, fire suppression? We, we have not, except, except I have put one of those rings that you're talking about on a customer car. They had just kind of shipped it to us and said, would you install this in the engine bay? And I would think it would make a significant improvement because it would. there's enough in there where it would coat the entire top of the engine. Yeah. And I guess this company is probably afraid of, I understand what they're saying, where it can get fed uh, quite a bit of air, but every engine compartment is going to get quite a bit of air. There is more openings in a DeLorean than some, but I've never seen too many engine compartments that are really very airtight. Sure, sure. They usually can get air in from underneath um, on most. And I, my guess would be more about the the melting point of the tube, right? If there's too much airflow that it might not melt the tube fast enough, but I don't know. Yeah. Inter- just interesting product. So I didn't yeah. know if that's something that you would ever... But to me, the most important thing with that is to remember, if you're ever in the car, and of course, if something like that happens, the most important thing is get the hell out of the car, of course. Um, But I think what's happened to some of these cars that we've seen just burn to the ground is if you can do one thing before you get out of the car is make sure the ignition is shut off. Oh, right. Kill Kill the fuel flow. Yep. What happens with some of these is they see a fire and they immediately jump out and want to go back there to see if they can put it out or they grab... An extinguisher, if it's already gotten to a certain point, a small ex- extinguisher is not going to do anything. Sure. But like you were you were starting to say, is, is if you can shut off the fuel source, that's the most important thing. And if you switch the key off, uh, you have a good shot at putting that out with a small extinguisher. If you don't, yeah. you have a tank full of fuel that is just going to continue to feed that through the fuel pump. 
until yeah. that car is just gone. Until the yeah, until the wires have melted or the fuel yep. pump. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what really happens once they get to a certain point, the the fiberglass starts to burn, and that it's very difficult to get the car out once that's yeah. happened. Uh, the the fuel source there, once it gets to a certain temperature, is quite a fuel source there to just for the car to burn. To yeah. Nothing left. Keeps going. Yeah. Last year we have a, there's an annual car show here in Marceline, Missouri, and a lot of cars show up, and there was a custom-built uh, pickup truck that was here the whole time, and he was one of the first guys to leave. And he, while he was here, was installing a, a and this is, I don't know, a 50s, a 40s or a 50s truck. He had put in a new electric fuel pump. Okay. And he was a hot rodder, so he knew what he was doing, but he just didn't take the right amount of time, I guess. And he backed out, and the thing caught fire. And like you said, didn't uh, didn't turn off the power. So the electric right. fuel pump literally just kept pumping fuel into the fire right yeah. on Main Street yeah. and just burned the whole thing up. Yeah, and you could have all the extinguishers you want. You're probably not going to get that out because <laughs> it's continuing to be fed. And really the, yeah. the point that you thought of that, that I was thinking when you said this is the guy sounds like he knew what he's doing. But, you know, here what we'll always do anytime any customer or my guys, my techs are touching a car, if you touch the fuel injection system, you absolutely have to start the car, get back there and look for a leak. There's the number of O-rings, those little copper O-rings on the fuel distribution and the fuel system is tons of places they can leak. Uh, and yeah. A lot of times those banjo bolts have to be pretty tight before they will not leak. So um, if you're worried about it, check your car at once a week. Uh, if you're driving it, you can open it and check it after each drive. And for sure, anytime that you open any part of that fuel system, uh, the first thing you do when you light it up is double check. And I bet anything, this even this guy, even though we're talking about a different type of car, that was leaking and he didn't check it. Yep. And, and that's probably, had he, he probably would have saved himself a heck of a lot of heartache. Yeah, yep. But for me, it was what you were talking about. It's that electric system. I didn't even think about that until you just said it, that if your DeLorean catches fire, turn the key off, then jump yep. out. Yep, because, you know, the the system will probably dump, you know, uh, a much smaller amount of fuel. Uh, it'll empty the accumulator on there, but, you know. It's not it, a whole tank. Right. Yeah. You're emptying the tank on there, and you're, you're, you're going to need the fire department to put that out. And by the time they yeah. get there, your car's going to probably be half gone. Yeah. So. Good. That's uh, good stuff. So you guys are also doing an open house this year, right? Yeah. So we usually try to do an open house. We've since the beginning of when we started the shop in 2007, we've done one every odd year. So every other year, every two years, and we'll have one August uh, 5th of 2023 at our shop. And uh, believe it or not, this will be our ninth open house. Awesome. So the lockdowns didn't catch you guys. Was it opposite years? Uh, yeah, it was kind of opposite. So we did one two years ago, and that was a, it was kind of lightly attended because COVID was going on. It was luckily because we do it every other year, we kind of missed the real high points. Um, but yeah. it was definitely a, a smaller attendance shows because smaller attendant open house because some people were worried about that. And as ECS sure. had kind of reached out to us because they had a show that was shut down and said, "What do you think about doing a joint thing?" Uh, where typically they were always on even years. And we would always be on odd years, so there'd be one. We didn't really want to conflict with theirs and draw people from theirs, or sometimes sure. people enough vacation for one DeLorean event, and we didn't want people to <laughs> make them choose. Uh, so we would just, they did it every even year, we did it every odd year, and then COVID kind of had us piggybacking, and we figured attendance may be light. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of a similar thing that's going on this year where 
even though they're separate events, one's hosted by DeLorean Midwest and the other is hosted by this DeLorean convention, we kind of do shared dates where their dates are the third and the fourth mainly, and then the main event on the fifth will be the Midwest Open House. Awesome. Well, now that I live six or seven hours from you, it's a lot closer than L.A. or Vegas. So For sure. I will certainly be there, even if it's just in the Jetta, but yeah. uh, it would be great to drive the DeLorean up there. Yeah, we, we'd like to see the car, too, if you can make it. Yeah. Yeah, more DeLorean the merrier. <laughs> the more the merrier, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so I had mentioned earlier in the episode that uh, about what is your other dream car, and also, what's your normal daily driver? Either either one first. Okay, well, so for a daily driver, I drive a 2004 Chevy Suburban 2500 Quadrosphere. <laughs> and the main reason for that is because we do quite a bit of going to pick up. We will trailer your car in for service. So <laughs> right, yeah, probably not my first choice in having a truck that big, but it's utilitarian. Plus, I have three kids, so it's one thing that can <laughs> move my three children and move a enclosed trailer. trailer with a with a DeLorean in it. So uh yeah. that's my daily. I I have a two thousand two Trans Am. Uh that's kinda I've had that I call that the official midlife crisis. So I bought that like two or three days after I turned forty. <laughs> so um <laughs> and and then uh I, I also own a sixty one Corvair Ramside pickup which is just an odd little car. I like a DeLorean, they're kinda weird, unique cars, I suppose. And uh my grandfather owned, I think, five Corvairs when they were new in the 60s. Wow. And so I've always kind of checked them out and thought maybe someday. And he he ordered uh, sedans and, and coupes, more normal cars. Uh, but when I saw this Rampside pickup, which is a really unique Corvair come for sale, I just I wound up going to take a look at it and, and came home with the Orphan. <laughs> and it's been, it's been probably uh, two or three years we've had that one. But I, honestly, to answer your question, I don't know what my perfect car was. I've had, I, I really have a huge interest in cars. Aside from the DeLorean and those two that I mentioned, that's all I have right now. But I could, I, I go to a car show and I, I have an appreciation for something about every car there. Sure. There's not something chomping at the bit that you really want that new Corvette or that new something. A Viper's been on my short list for a long time and i first i wanted a 92 because i really like low production stuff and they only made like 150 Oof. then i kind of morphed into more of the gts because that's a much it's a it's got a hard top and regular windows and full-blown air conditioning and they did some improvements on them to up the horsepower but those are so expensive now i don't know if that'll happen but uh and i may kill myself <laughs> in that car because they're like violently <laughs> quick compared to a delorean they're a complete handful uh <laughs> So I'm not sure that one will happen. Susie might uh, put the kibosh on that one because she doesn't <laughs> want me to wind up dead. <laughs> that's good. That's a Yes, I agree. Yeah. So, But, yeah, I, that, that's probably one that's been on my list for 10 years, and it's just never happened. I've looked at a few looked at a few Corvettes and never pulled the trigger on one. But, uh, yeah. Cool. All right, the last question. Sure. In your DeLorean, what is in the trunk right now? Nothing. Just the spare tire. Yeah? You, yeah. you are, you're one of those absolutely nothing else in the trunk. Yeah, there's nothing in the trunk. Yeah, I've seen guys, man, I've seen those, and I know what you're talking about. I've seen guys <laughs> who have enough in there to rebuild the car. Not anything, yeah. <laughs> we got to experience that with uh, Wolfgang, who did the world tour, stopped at the shop. Oh, yes. And yeah. he actually had his first failure where we went out to dinner with him, 
and uh, one one of the other two drivers said there was a noise coming back from dinner like late at night, and we were going out to actually Dave's. Dave was nice enough to host the three guys at his house overnight, but it was wild to see uh, Wolfgang got in his car. He went for a quick drive. He's like, there's an issue here. They jacked up the wheel and started shaking. It's probably like 930 at night. And then he knew exactly what he needed out of all three cars because they were all packed with the jack was in this car and there's a wheel bearing in that car. <laughs> yep. And there's some press tools in this third car. And all the trunks went open and all of them got uh, unpacked. And, and <laughs> he went from social uh, Wolfgang into like mechanic Wolfgang, like a switch. And it was like go time and, and time to fix the car. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm more of a, my car's kind of sorted. It's never gone on really long road trips like that. And uh, I, I'm one that rides with nothing in the trunk. Yeah. Cool. So. Cool. Always curious. Yeah. That's a good. That's a great question. Well, Mike, thank you so much for sure. uh, coming on and, and sharing your DeLorean story. And uh, looking forward to seeing you in person, hopefully with my DeLorean, and ha- just having you that much closer than before. Yeah. It'll be great to see you at uh, DCS this year, and I, I appreciate the podcast and appreciate the time and effort you put into these. Thanks. It's fun. I would love to do more. It's just time, there's never an okay. This is not a Back to the Future joke. I say it all the time. There's never enough time. Well, like I, I have so many things. You get it. You got a yeah. wife, kids, business yep. that you already you probably don't have enough time for either. So yep, yep. I think I was told you when we were talking that. Uh, I don't know if people realize this. I don't know the exact timeline, but within within weeks of us taking over DeLorean Midwest, my wife finds out we're pregnant with our third child. And <laughs> for those of you that don't have three kids, uh, the third is a game changer. There's you know more kids than there are parents. They're, they got you <laughs> outnumbered. And so ever since then, it was just kind of hang on, and, and we've been hanging on for seven years now. <laughs> I hope at some point it, it tapers down, but we're we're doing the best we can and, and enjoying it. And running a business and having small kids is a lot. It's it's awesome. You got to get them in there, turning wrenches. Yeah, get them, keep them busy. And I, you know what, I type that's like support whatever they want to get into. Um, and if they if they decide that they have an interest in DeLoreans, of course, I'd love to pass along knowledge to them. And and my my six year old is kind of that type he's very mechanical he's the engineer of, of the family and you can even tell at a small age he already he wants to know how everything works so we'll see what nice. that develops into <laughs> awesome yeah all right thanks again mike sure uh looking forward to seeing you all right don't forget everybody august 5th 2023 is the open house at delorean midwest if you haven't done so ever or if it's been a while Go submit a new census record for your DeLorean on DeLoreanDirectory.com slash census. Even if there's already a record there, if you've made changes to your car, go ahead and add another record so we can see the history of all of these cars as they progress forward in time. And please share the, this episode, share the, the show in general, uh, any of your social medias, DeLoreanTalk.com. Uh, just spread it around. Make sure everybody has a chance to hear it and learn about it. And Uh, Don't hesitate to send in comments, comments at DeLoreanTalk.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the road. 